More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast. Okay, quick question. Ladies and gentlemen, what's the greatest threat to our country, Bernie Sanders or the coronavirus? No, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. What do you think the biggest threat to this country is, the coronavirus? There's no question. It's exactly right. Bernie Sanders is by far and away the greater threat. Then the coronavirus, in fact, the World Health Organization, I mean, if you want to believe them, it's a UN, they say that the coronavirus in China has peaked. It's on the way down. I've seen this guy on TV. Looks like Butros Butros Ghali, maybe even from the the same company, uh, country, company, whatever. Greetings, my friends. Great to have you with us. It'll rush ball behind the golden EIB microphone here at the distinguished... Limbaugh Institute. Great to have you. Telephone number 800-282-2882. The email address, lrushbow at eibnet.us. It is a combination of astounding and pleasurable to read of all the panic in the media over Bernie Sanders. I'm not seeing so much panic in the Democrat Party as I'm seeing panic in the media. But then the media is the Democrat Party and I believe has been the intellectual impetus of the Democrat Party for many, many moons now. I, I think the, the media as a, an institution of objectivity, fairness, and presenting the news has been absent long gone for quite a while. In fact, Margaret Sullivan, who used to be the public editor at the New York Times, that's who you would write to if you wanted to complain about bias in a paper and, you know, what would happen to your complaints. So she'd been, she, she's not at the New York Times anymore. She's the media columnist at the Washington Post. And she has just come out with her version of the Jim Rutenberg column in 2016 in the New York Times. When Rutenberg said, it's time to throw away everything we know about journalism, we have to devote ourselves to destroying Donald Trump. She has done her version of that for the Washington Post now. 
It's time to throw out every we it's time to abandon everything we thought we knew about journalism and create something brand new that is complete total advocacy aimed at destroying Donald Trump. Hey, Sullivan, you've already done it. There's nothing left to do. The media has abandoned whatever its original pretense was more than four years ago. We'll get into this in great detail uh, as the program unfolds. But there's another Democrat debate tonight, and it's, it's being set up here with the abject panic that you encounter everywhere in the drive-by media today over Bernie Sanders. And, you know, it's, it's kind of funny... In a lot of ways, the Democrat Party has actually created one of its biggest problems, and that problem is Bernie Sanders and Super Tuesday. Because after Super Tuesday, Bernie Sanders is going to have an insurmountable delegate lead. And let's be honest about something. You can say Bloomberg, Duberg, all you want, and you talk about his money, but what's Bloomberg missing? What's he missing? Fire in the belly. Bloomberg is missing the raw desire you have to have to win this office. What's my evidence? He didn't get into it until six to nine months of it had already gone by. He gets into it after a lot of delegates are chosen. He gets into it with no chance of having any serious delegate victory in Super Tuesday. He gets into it and does nothing but spend his money to try to impact something or other, the fire in the belly is what's missing. Bloomberg just doesn't have it. I don't care if you're a Bloomberg fan. I hate to disappoint you, but he doesn't have. He could not do one-third of Donald Trump's average day. There aren't very many people else, uh, other people who could either, but, but Bloomberg couldn't. He doesn't want to. That's the difference. He doesn't want to. And you can see it. So whatever Bloomberg does or whatever he's going to end up meaning as a factor in all this, it isn't going to be to propel himself. It's too late. And, you know, all of these secret recordings are coming out. They continue to drop embarrassing things. Now they've got him on tape ripping into Obama. That isn't going to sit well with the Democrats out there. But what the Democrats did by by front-loading Super Tuesday, putting California in it, they have dug their own grave. By putting California, that's 400 and some odd delegate. Now, it's not winner-take-all in California. That's the only saving grace. Delegates in the California primary are apportioned according to how the, the votes are tallied candidate to candidate. It's not winner-take-all. It's a lot of delegates, though. And Crazy Bernie is going to get the lion's share of them. And nobody in the media is pointing this out. Nobody is pointing out the Democrats created their own nightmare here by putting so many of their big state primaries, moving them forward into Super Tuesday. I mean, this thing, for all intents and purposes, could be over next Tuesday. And then the fun really begins as the Democrats and the media begin to devise ways of sabotaging Crazy Bernie in the remaining months to the Democrat convention. So let's look at some of the news out there that I previously mentioned, representative of a panic. First, a little piece on Mayor Pete. This is not 
from this stack of stuff about panic in the Democrat Party. This is Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete has a big problem with African-American votes, and that's what he needs to show well in South Carolina. And by the way, I'm going to be very nice. Biden is out there saying he's running for the Senate. Poor plugs. You got to feel sorry. Whoever's making him do this needs to really be spanked. Plugs doesn't want to be doing this either. Plugs has Plugs doesn't have the fire in the belly. Bloomberg doesn't have the fire in the belly. Somebody put Plugs up to this as a means of heading off crazy Bernie at the moderate pass. But Plugs, folks, it's a, it's a, it's embarrassing. He's out there saying he's running for the he's a, he's in South Carolina. He says I'm running for the United States Senate. I'm running for the United States Senate. If you don't like me, look, go ahead and choose the other Biden. The other Biden? What other Biden? Hunter Biden in Ukraine? What 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 other Biden? And then this is even worse. Two things. Plugs claimed last night that he worked with the Chinese leader Deng Xiaoping on the Paris Climate Accords. Well, Deng Xiaoping has been dead room temperature for 23 years. Deng Xiaoping is not the head honcho of the Chicoms. The head honcho of the Chicoms is a guy named Xi Jinping, and he's becoming Mao Zedong Jr., becoming a total authoritarian. That's why Crazy Bernie loves this guy. And Crazy Bernie's out saying nobody, nobody has raised the percentage of people out of poverty like the Chicoms have. What a crock. My God, this guy's dangerous. He's a crotchety, funny old looking guy, but he's dangerous. But poor Plugs, claiming he worked with Deng Xiaoping on the Paris Climate Accord. The Chi-Coms had nothing to do with the Paris Climate Accords anyway, except to go up and go, we're not playing. Deng Xiaoping left office in 1992. Deng Xiaoping was not even president when Plugs was vice president. And then... You hear about this? Plugs said he got arrested trying to greet uh, 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 Nelson Mandela as he was coming out of jail on Robbins Island. Yes, I was in Soweto. I was running around Soweto trying to avoid being necklaced, and I got arrested. I got arrested trying to meet Nelson Mandela. Joe Biden was not in Africa when 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 Mandela was released from Robben Island. <sighs> It's embarrassing. Who is making him do this? Well, you think he's Hunter's making him do it? Is that what you think? To try to protect everybody in Ukraine? You think his son's making him do this? Dad, you got to run interference for. Oh, my God. I haven't even thought of that. <laughs> well, somebody's making it. And he's, they're, they're letting him embarrass himself like this. No, we have compassion here for people. We always have had. Somebody is letting Biden make a fool of himself practically every time he goes out and opens his mouth. Now, in the polling data in South Carolina, it looks like he got the endorsement from James Clyburn, father of Mignon Clyburn, of the Congressional Black Caucasians. And he is leading in the South Carolina polls because he's leading in the black vote. That's the story about Mayor Pete. 
Here's the headlines in BizPack Review. Uh, Buddha judge bolts after he's booed and shouted down at a minimum wage rally. Pete can't be our president. The attendees were shouting. By the way, somebody on YouTube, and I, I, di- I didn't bother asking this to be rolled off because it's, it's a video you really need to see. The audio is kind of difficult, but what it is, apparently Mayor Pete is lifting practically verbatim Obama platitudes and using them as his own. And somebody has gone back and put them together talking at the same time, which is why it's a jumbled mess to hear. But if you see it, it kind of makes sense. But it's obvious if you listen to it that Mayor Pete is literally ripping off. He's trying to be the white Obama. And it isn't working. Democrat presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg was booed and shouted down by protesters during a march with McDonald's workers who were striking for a $15 minimum wage in Charleston, South Carolina. The rally was organized by the nationwide Fight for 15 movement, but Buttigieg tried to hijack the event and make it a photo op to promote his flailing campaign. Booty Judge awkwardly pandered to black voters by standing alongside black protesters. He's out there saying, No matter who you support, I support you. We support you, Booty Judge said. We stand together. We will not rest until one job is enough in the United States of America. And while he was speaking, he was booed and shouted down by Black Voters Matter protesters. You ever Black Voters Matter? You ever heard of that? We've got Black Lives Matter. Now Black Voters Matter. Is Black Voters different than Black Lives? It could, yeah, well, it could be because not all Black Lives vote, obviously. So maybe, how do you live and learn? Black Voters Matter protesters, and they're chanting, Pete can't be our president. Where was $15 in South Bend? So see, Mayor Pete's out there and making everybody think he's for a $15 minimum wage, but it's not to be found anywhere in South Bend where he was the mayor. And it says here, a frustrated booty judge cut his speech short after five minutes, quickly tried to exit the rally. The protesters from Black Voters Matter followed Booty Judge as he tried to make his escape. Remember, after five minutes to his SUV. The latest fiasco underscores the continuing struggle Pete Booty Judge is having in connecting to black voters. Despite nonstop pandering, Mayor Pete is polling at zero percent among black. Didn't I didn't I warn about this? Did I not warn everybody, especially the Democrats, about this after Mayor Pete wins the Hawkeye Hawkeye and comes in pretty well in New Hampshire? So you had Crazy Bernie, Elizabeth Warren, Mayor Pete, though you're three top finishers. And I'm assuming the role of a Democrat strategist and asking myself, which of these three people do we need to nominate? You don't want to nominate Buddha judge for the reasons I suggested. And you don't want to nominate Elizabeth Warren. She's going to lose. There'll be two women in a row you lose with. You don't want to do that. You're crazy Bernie. Oh, my God. We got no choices here. So now it becomes who do we want to lose with? My theory about the Democrats and the way they're looking at this. Who do we want to lose with? And when you hear 
And it's coming up. When you hear the level of panic among Democrats and media, you'll understand why I say the way they're looking at this is who do they want to lose with. So Mayor Pete, 0% polling data among black primary voters, not just in South Carolina, but across the fruited plain. No Democrat can win the presidential nomination without the support of black voters, especially in South Carolina, because blacks are two-thirds of the Democrat primary electorate in South Carolina. You look like you didn't know that. It is a big number. Two-thirds, two-thirds of the entire Democrat primary electorate is black, is African-American. And Mayor Pete's sitting there with a big, fat zero. How do you do that? Can't find one to join your camp? Not one? Meanwhile, here's how the Trumpster is doing among black voters. New polls, black Americans support President Trump, Rasmussen 34.5%, Emerson 34%, Marist 33%. Now let me give you some... Marist. Yeah, Marist. That's a serious bunch. Marist and Emerson both are serious. Now the, the drive-bys ignore Rasmussen and it gets all bogus and phony, but like what we think of their polls... Let me just give you some of the headlines of these panic stories. Here first, New York Magazine, Jonathan Chait. This guy is, you know, he's a leftist, so he escapes this characterization. This guy just hates us, folks. He just hates conservatives, Republicans, hates Trump. Headline, if Democrats aren't terrified of Bernie, they are not paying attention. From TheHill.com, the memo, Democrat rivals have seven days to stop crazy Bernie. Washington Post, Hurricane Katrina Vandenhubel, get ready for the anti-Sanders media avalanche. And from Thomas, Loopy Friedman of the New York Times, Democrats, you want to defeat Trump, you need to form a team of rivals. Wait, this guy's off his rocker. The precise reason they're in trouble is because they can't do what Thomas Loopy Friedman wants them to do. He also wants the United States to become more like uh, more like China. Uh, and there's an internal poll from the Bloomberg campaign showing that Bernie would sink Democrats down the ballot. House, Senate, mayor, controller, dog catcher, you know, what have you, wipe them out. And welcome back, Rush Limbaugh. Half my brain tied behind my back, always, just to make it fair. And I mentioned yesterday that the all this coronavirus hype is aimed at getting Trump. Make no mistake about it. It's aimed at getting Trump. Here is a media montage that makes the point. Essentially, forget the Russians, at least today, because now the coronavirus is going to be the end of Trump. If the coronavirus spreads into a pandemic, improves Bernie Sanders' chances of beating Donald Trump. How? Coronavirus potentially causing a real headwind to the economy around November, the time of the election. That could affect his re-election chances. Every indicator is fairly locked in at this point for Trump to get re-elected, unless there's a black swan moment like this. It wouldn't be too difficult to trigger a recession, especially with coronavirus raging, just in time for the election. It could potentially hurt President Trump's chances of re-election. The economy slows dramatically because of the virus. Oh, okay. Right? So that would bolster the chances of the Democrats. 
With all these unpredictable factors, including the coronavirus, almost anything can happen. The coronavirus could get Bernie Sanders elected president of the United States. Why couldn't the coronavirus get Donald Trump reelected? What if the United States comes up with a dramatically great policy to deal with it and the number of cases in the United States dwindles, goes down, or does not expand like the cases around the world? Then why wouldn't that be beneficial to Trump? Notice here we are in February and they've already got this virus ruining the economy by November in time to take out Trump. This is proof they've got nothing. They know they can't beat the guy, folks. We'll be back. Oh, by the way, a reminder, folks, day number two, the Rush Limbaugh app for Apple TV is now available. It was in beta testing for a month. We released it yesterday. And it's for the Ditto Cam. It's Ditto Cam only. It's not the entire website, but it is the Ditto Cam and archives of all Ditto Cam programs on your primary television screen via Apple TV. And it's it's a free app, but there is an in-app purchase, which means that if you are a subscriber to RushLimbaugh.com, just enter your login credentials and you'll be ready to go for all the archive data. If you're not, that's what the in-app purchase means. It gives you a chance to become a member. You don't have to by any means. There is a a little bit of content that's available free, the free side of the app. But I just wanted to let you know that it's up and running now. And we uh, we made the charts. We made the top ten most searched apps on Apple TV at one point last night. Uh, no, I wasn't checking because I knew that was going to happen. Uh, Coco told me. Coco was monitoring. I have staff for that. And uh, sure as anything, staff came through with the reports. I got a screenshot of it. Save these things for archival history. I want to, before getting back to the panic on the Democrats, there's all kind of time to do that. I want to, and Trump has just left India. Uh, Air Force One got wheels up about 12, 24 hour time. Uh, India is 10 and a half hours ahead of us. Not 10. They had 30 minutes. So when it's 10, 10 a.m. here, it is 1230 in the morning in, uh, in India. For example, so that's when, and Trump left. I think at ten twenty four India time. So actually, not it was a couple hours ago. But I want to share with you some of the Trump press conference because this is this is confidence. This is strength. This is uh, a presence on the world stage that the Democrats again just don't have anybody who can who can match up. Uh, and in the bites that we have here, Trump deals with the, the Democrats and the coronavirus, goes after uh, Justice Sotomayor, Sotomayor, for those of you in Rio Linda. And he really has gone after these two judges on the Supreme Court. That they need to recuse themselves from these immigration cases because they are taking open public political positions. On these, and he's right about it. So here's the first bite. You may ask about the uh, coronavirus, which is very well under control in our country. We uh, have very few people with it. We think they'll be in very good shape very soon. I think that whole situation will start working out. A lot of talent, a lot of brain power is being put behind it. Two and a half billion dollars we're putting in. I see that uh, Chuck Schumer criticized that he thought it should be more. And if I gave more, he'd say it should be less. 
It's automatic, you know, with these characters. He's just not good for our country. Now, I want you to pay attention to something Trump said here. Very well under our, a very, very well under control in our country. We have very few people with it. The, uh, the fatality rate, there's something like 80,000 cases in the world that are known. There have been 2,700 deaths. Do you know what that translates to a fatality percentage? It's like 2 to 3%, folks. The fatality rate of this virus is less than the flu, far less than the flu. But look at how it's been hyped. And it's being hyped because, as you heard in the first audio soundbite, the montage, the media thinks this is the new Russia. This is going to get Trump. This is good. They're gleeful. They're happy. This is going to destroy the economy magically by November. And it won't. And Trump says very well under control in our country. The next question he got, you tweeted about uh, Justice Sotomayor saying that she and Justice Ruth Buzzy Ginsburg should recuse themselves from future cases dealing with your administration. What's the basis for your opinion on that? I just don't know how they cannot recuse themselves or anything having to do with Trump or Trump-related. The right thing to do is that. Now, as a Supreme Court justice, is a different standard. But at the same time, I think it's a higher standard in a certain sense. So they'll have to decide what to do. It's almost what she's trying to do is take the people that do feel a different way and get them to vote the way that she would like them to vote. I just thought it was so inappropriate. It is, and the details of what this is about coming up in due course on the program. Remember, what we do here is make the complex understandable. Uh, Move on now to audio soundbite number five. This is Ron Brownstein this morning on CNN's newsroom. He also works at the Atlantic uh, magazine. And this is his take on how Trump is dealing with the coronavirus. The contrast with how Barack Obama handled the Ebola outbreak is very, uh, I think, illuminative of the way they approach the world. Obviously, the President uh, Obama named an Ebola czar, Ron Klain, who was uh, Joe Biden's chief of staff and former White House counsel. But he also uh, was very engaged with the frontline states in terms of sending U.S. assistance to them to help them manage the outbreak on the front lines. That if a pandemic develops, ultimately, it is everybody's problems. Look at the contrast between the president's language when he said, you know, we're handling it very well and no sense of kind of interconnectedness uh, with the other countries. This is precisely what these people do not get. Donald Trump is president of the United States. He is not president of the world. It is not his job to control the spread of the coronavirus in China. It's not his job to control the spread of the coronavirus in the UK. There's nothing he can do anyway about it. He doesn't have the force of law behind him. All he has is the the uh, the power that being the president of the lone superpower in the world gives him. But Trump's first commitment and first responsibility is to the people of the United States. Not only on the coronavirus, but on the economy, on trade deals, on whatever it is that affects the safety and prosperity of the people of America. His view is that his first responsibility is you and me and the 50 states in this country, 57 if you're Obama. And his belief is that if that happens... That if the United States looks after itself first, you know, this is this is what they say is nationalism. This is how they try to say that Trump is an equal authoritarian to people like Hitler. And the 
that it, nothing could be further from the truth, obviously. This is patriotism, and it may even be national. What's wrong with nationalism? What's wrong with nationalism that is rooted in patriotism? Nationalism of Trump's is not country right, despite everything. It's not always right. Right or wrong, America right at the end of the day. It's not, it's not that at all. But his view is, I, I have the ability and the foresight and the responsibility to protect the people of the United States from illegal immigration, from economic calamity, from whatever it might be, including rampant disease. It's also his job to avoid creating a panic when one is not necessary in the United States. And so here comes Ron Brownstein, representative all in the media, contrasting this with Obama. And look what Obama did. Obama not only tried to protect America from Ebola, but he tried to protect the world. He appointed an Ebola czar, Ron Klain, Joe Biden's chief of staff, very engaged with the frontline states in terms of sending U.S. assistance to them. These are for-show moves. This is what Washington politicians do. Nothing but making it look like they're doing everything. The difference is Obama and his ilk are a bunch of phonies devoted to public relations victories. Trump is a real guy who's actually trying to protect the United States when it comes to coronavirus or anything else. And then he doesn't phony it up by appointing a coronavirus czar and sending him over to China to supposedly manage it there where it originated or anywhere else where it happens to be spreading. He deals with it here. But these guys, oh, man, oh, we wish we had Obama. Obama would control it for the whole world. What did Obama do for Ebola? How was Obama stopping Ebola? He didn't. You know what stops Ebola? I hate to say this. Death. Ebola can't survive in dead hosts. It needs hosts. The more people with Ebola die, the faster Ebola dies out in that particular strain. And if you can isolate the people who have Ebola, that's how you stop it. Ebola is a horrible, horrible, not even comparable to the coronavirus. It's, it's literally horrible. And there's, there's no virus for it. I mean, there's no antidote for it. It's a virus. We'll never cure for viruses. Otherwise, the common cold wouldn't be what it is, and the flu wouldn't be. These are all viruses. Now, we can mitigate the damage, treat symptoms, maybe strengthen the immune system to make the effects of these diseases less, but we can't cure them. And there are very few, uh, what do you call them, uh, vaccines for viruses. There are some, but it's a handful, folks. It's tiny. And there's no stopping Ebola. Uh, you, you you don't you don't want any part of and there's an Ebola czar was going to do one thing to stop Ebola. It was just going to make it look like Obama cared, which is exactly what liberals do. We care. Other people don't vote for us. Meanwhile, what do they do to solve problems? Zip zero nada. What happened to America during the eight years of Obama? Trump spent three years trying to fix it and has. I got to take a break. This stuff ticks me off. You can't tell. Back in just a second. So it's got a. Text from my brother. Hey, I'm glad you're reminding me about the Apple TV app. I forgot to download it yesterday. I just did. Looks cool. Looks really cool. I know. To see me on your giant 65-inch plasma or your flat screen, it's got to be 
It's got to be incomparable. Anyway, uh, welcome back. Get this. Yesterday, John King at CNN brought in the uh, the uh, chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, this afternoon to refute something I said yesterday about the coronavirus. And I want you to listen to this very, very carefully. I want you to listen here uh, to Rush Limbaugh's take on the coronavirus. It looks like the coronavirus being weaponized as yet another element to bring down Donald Trump. Now, I want to tell you the truth about the coronavirus. The coronavirus is, is the common cold, folks. Dr. Gupta, is the coronavirus the common cold? This is a brand new virus. It's a novel virus. Uh, we don't know exactly how this virus is going to behave. And I think that would unfortunately, you know, be minimizing it. I think what uh, Rush Limbaugh is sort of referring to is the idea that it is from a family of coronaviruses. That is the family name of these viruses. And uh, some of them in the past have caused symptoms that were more consistent with uh, the common cold. But it's also been the same family of viruses that caused SARS, that caused MERS, uh, the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. I said yesterday that the coronavirus, that there are numerous types of coronavirus. This is coronavirus 19. Uh, the official name of it is Code V19, but it's in common parlance so that even people in Rio Linda can follow along. It's coronavirus number 19. The fatality rate, even in China, is 2%. Now, that's greater than the common cold, but less than the flu. It's a respiratory virus. That's what it does. It gets into your respiratory system, and it, it, it causes symptoms like the common cold or, at worst, the flu. And depending on your age, just like the flu, it can be fatal. Now, the question about this coronavirus, where did it come from? It came from, as best anybody can tell, a lab in Wuhan, China. Now, I don't know, but there are people who speculating that the Chicoms were attempting to weaponize this virus, and somebody discovered this. Some scientist, some doctor discovered this independently back in December and tried to warn everybody about what he was seeing because it looked like a virus that had a human element to it that was weaponized. And that scientist slash doctor is now dead. And the China, Wuhan, China is a town of about 11 million. It's a, it's a, Huge city by American standards. It's, you know, middle of the road by, uh, by CHICOM standards. I looked at it on a map. It's right smack dab in one of the most populated regions. And just, just for the sake of your information, the reason why there's all this talk about hard economic times for Apple and other tech firms that have their products assembled there is because the factories that employ 500,000 people are part of the Wuhan metro area. And that's, that's why these factories are shut down or were, and why the numbers of people returning to work is less than 50%. And that, that's why there's all the talk here about potential economic problems, slowdowns for uh, companies like Apple and so forth, because Wuhan... It's right smack dab in the middle of, and in China, it's a large region. You got a billion people there, so 
you can you could go as far as 500 miles away from Wuhan and still be uh, within a very centralized location where there are many factories that employ that many people who can't show up for work, uh, who are now starting to trickle back to work. But I have here in my formerly nicotine-stained fingers, the, the World Health Organization says that the, uh, let's see, this is not the, uh, yes, the head of the WHO, Tedros Adhanan Boutros Boutros Gali Gabrizusis, said yesterday that while Iran and Italy have reported a surge in coronavirus cases over the last several days, the coronavirus has not yet met the criteria to be called a pandemic. In fact, Mr. Tedros Boutros Boutros Gali said they have not found an uncontained global spread of the virus. And he noted a steady decline in new cases in China. So it may have peaked at the point of origin. And you know how you know that it's peaked at the point of origin? Because all of these tech firm factories are opening up. And these factories are now offering all kinds of incentives to get the employees to come back. The CHICOM government would not be permitting this. If the threat were still expanding in the Wuhan area, and let's let's call it like a 500-mile radius or 400-mile radius, the CHICOMs would still be trying to get a handle on it. Now, a lot of people, there's cynics everywhere, weaponized potentially, China... Chi-coms, communist Chinese, what are they doing here? You know, it wouldn't be bad for them if they lost some of their population. Impossible to feed and keep healthy. You know where this virus is rumored to come from? Do you, 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 don't, you may not know this, but food in China is such a different proposition. You try feeding a billion people as a communist economic system. These people eat anything. They eat live bats. They eat live snakes. Do you realize how easily contaminated this stuff is? And that's where it's thought that this might have originated. Anyway, I'm a little long here. Got to take a quick time out. Back in a moment. Rush, what do you mean an Ebola czar just a PR move? Okay, Ebola czar. Remember when Boko Haram kidnapped a bunch of girls in Africa? What did Michelle Obama do? Come up with a Twitter hashtag called Save Our Girls. What did that accomplish? Zero, but it sure made everybody think she cared a lot. Felt like they were doing something about it. That's what I mean by PR moves. All right, I, I, uh, this happens every day. I tell you what I'm going to do, and then things happen, and what I'm going to do gets delayed. Like I was going to share with you all these stories detailing the panic in the Democrat Party and the media over crazy Bernie. I'm still going to do it, but things happened. Things happened, and. And another thing just happened, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to delay it even further. And the same thing with your phone calls. I'm going to get, if you're on hold, please stay there. But folks, there's a, there's a life lesson here and a show lesson here. And remember, for those of you who have been uh, listening for any length of time whatsoever, there are new people tuning in every hour to this program, and certainly every day, which is a great, great thing. Uh, the, the audience is expanding here at, at, at geometric uh, proportions. Very happy and, and proud of that. What it means is, is that there are people listening for the first time every day who may hear me say something that they don't have the context 
of experience listening to the program to understand, such as what I said just before the end of the first hour. So I want to convert this into a miniature brief little lesson on conservatism versus liberalism, uh, phoniness versus reality, and a way to make sure that some of these people listening for the first time don't misunderstand me. So we have here a circumstance where the media is saying that Donald Trump is insufficiently prepared to be truthful or effective in dealing with the coronavirus. CNN did this today, and they pointed out that when Trump talked about it, he only talked about it from the standpoint of protecting America. And that's not good. We need to look to what people like Barack Obama did. Obama, back during the Ebola fear, and by the way, whatever happened to that? Whatever happened to the worldwide Ebola pandemic? It didn't happen, did it? But anyway, Obama appointed an Ebola czar. And what did the Ebola czar do? Nothing. There was nothing the Ebola czar could do. We don't have a cure for it. Ebola is a deadly, horrible thing. And the, the idea that the Obama administration tried to make people believe it by appointing a czar, we could somehow stop it is irresponsible, and it's public relations. It's not real. It misleads people. And I think it's a disservice to people. I think it's what liberalism is. Liberalism, communism, socialism, the last thing that they do in those ideologies is solve problems. They create problems. Like the Democrats are trying to do, the entire Democrat campaign is trying to create problems because they have solutions. They're offering solutions for which there are no problems right now. Trump and America have gone beyond them. We don't have the problems the Democrats are whining and moaning about in their debates and their commercials and so forth. So, here I am criticizing Obama and the Ebola czar. Come on, Rush. Don't you realize he's only trying to help? No, that's not what he was trying. Trying to make you think he was doing something about it when there's nothing he can do about it. Obama was not God. He's not a doctor. He doesn't understand health care. He's got no experience in it at all. Why should anybody think that he is the savant? So my comparison is this. There's a terrorist group in Africa, Nigeria. It's called Boko Haram. They kidnap and traffic young girls, in addition to being terrorists. So I forget the year, but they went in there and they kidnapped a bunch, like 200 girls from an African village, and the world was shocked. The world was outraged. Many people never heard of Boko Haram until this happened. They were confusing it with Proko Haram, whiter shade of pale, but that was not who it was. It was Boko Haram. And immediately, Michelle Obama created a Twitter hashtag called Save Our Girls. And what did the media do? They melted. Oh, she cares so much. It's so wonderful. And I criticized it. From the standpoint, it sounds good, but ain't going to do diddly squat. So you go on the Save Our Girls hashtag. You go on Twitter and you sign it. And what are the Boko Haram guys going to do? They're going to see all these people hashtagging save our girls and give them back? 
ain't going to happen. That night, John Stewart did a 10-minute monologue on me and the fact that I have no soul because I dared criticize Michelle Obama's Save Our Girls hashtag. Now, the difference here is, see, I'm actually interested in solutions. I don't believe that a Twitter hashtag is going to get any kidnapped victim back. It's going to make somebody who has nothing to do with it feel better, make them think they're doing something about it. But that's the whole point of liberalism versus liberalism is the most gutless, easy choice you can make. You never have to solve a problem. All you have to do is claim that you care about it. And man, people assume you've got this gigantic big heart and you're a wonderful person, but you don't have to do anything. You don't have to give any money to a charity. You don't have to save anybody who is in dire straits. You don't have to get the girls back that were kidnapped by Boko Haram. All you have to do is sign up to the hashtag Save Our Girls. Well, I'm sorry, but that doesn't cut it for me. Now, if you're into making yourself feel better in these things and making it feel like you're doing something that's meaningful, have at it. But it isn't going to mean anything. And for that, I'm said to have no soul. Well, what would you do? <laughs> First place, I wouldn't tell anybody what I'm if I'm president or if I really wanted to do something about it. I would target these people. I'd go in, I'd mount a mission and do what it took to take them out and get the girls back. I wouldn't do any of it on Twitter and I wouldn't do it any of it publicly. And I would only announce it had happened afterwards. And it would be part of a comprehensive anti-terrorist strategy that would be part of hopefully a framework I have as a president to deal with these kinds of things. Now, the reason I bring this up, Donald Trump has survived every coup attempt, every assault on him that has been made up. And now the coronavirus, they're trying to lay it at his feet and make him responsible for it, and they're doing irresponsible news reports claiming that the coronavirus is going to destroy the U.S. economy by when? November! Isn't it magical? The coronavirus is the new Russians. The coronavirus is going to take out Donald Trump because Donald Trump doesn't care about anybody but America. He doesn't care, and we can't trust what Trump says anyway. And so I'm sitting here, and I'm not going to play ball with this. I'm not going to join a panic over something that I have been independently informing myself about. I have no interest in lying to you about anything. It doesn't help me. It doesn't help you. It doesn't further anything. It doesn't help a thing for me to knowingly lie to you about something as serious as a possible global pandemic. And that's how the media is treating this. And they've been treating it this way since late January, before the Chinese New Year. And they have been using it to attack the various enemies they have, like Apple and other tech firms. And now they're using it to go after Trump. And some of the stories, let me share, let me get just a couple headlines here real quick. Uh, uh, CDC, very strong chance of an extremely serious outbreak of the coronavirus. Very strong chance of an extremely serious. And uh, CDC, uh, CDC warns it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And so the media is out basically telling people that you might die. 
There are also stories that the United States is short on latex gloves and masks. We don't have it. Oh, my God. We don't have anything to protect ourselves. It's Trump's fault. I'm just telling you that where this whole thing started, the fatality rate is 2% of the infection rate. That's less than the flu. I'm not saying it's tolerable. I'm just, folks, this kind of story is made to order for modern media, which reports first before they know anything, and they flame it, flake it, form it to fit their agenda of the moment, which now is get Trump. And now they're comparing Trump to Obama, and Trump's coming up short because Trump Trump only said that he was going to make sure it's okay in the United States. Well, Obama did an Ebalazar, and they make sure it's safe around the world. That's a difference in Trump and Obama. Well, um, Obama's Ebolazar had zero effect on anything to do with Ebola. Just like a hashtag on Twitter, Save Our Girls, had zero to do with saving anybody. From Boko Haram. I'm sorry if that sounds mean. This is what being the mayor of Realville is. This is what what it means to live in reality versus hiding yourself away in the universe of platitudes and feel-goodism. That doesn't get anything done. And we in Realville are about getting things done. Let me share share with you a soundbite again from CNN. This afternoon on Inside Politics, the guest is the national political correspondent from Time Magazine. Her name is Molly Ball. I don't know who's talking. I don't know who was asking her anything. It might be John King or whatever. But listen, she's obviously been asked about me and my thoughts on the coronavirus. And this was what uh, she said. Everybody hopes that Russia's right, and this is no more serious than the common cold. And even if lots and lots of people get it, it is not very deadly. But I think there is the potential for a situation uh, where there's mass confusion because nobody knows what to believe because this president has such a track record of not necessarily being truthful that you could have a, a panic, you could have all kinds of consequences of that. So, the coronavirus... We hope Rush is right, but Rush could be wrong because Trump doesn't tell us the truth. Rush could be wrong because Trump has such a track record of not being truthful that you could have a panic and he would deny it. And so you could end up getting a fatal disease and not know you're going to die because Trump is telling you you're okay. Oh, I'm sorry, this is how they're covering this. And meanwhile, it was Obama who told a woman whose mother was 100 years old, no, I don't, I don't think uh, your mom wanting to live is going to be a factor uh, in Obamacare. I think at that age, she gets there, we'll give her pain pill, you know, say, uh, be happy. Here's happy pill, and uh, enjoy the rest of your life. Who is it that doesn't appear to care about people? The idea Donald Trump doesn't care about people is so asinine. You couldn't have the trade policy, the economic policy, the tax policy. You couldn't have the foreign policy Donald Trump has if you didn't care about the American people. What we're looking is at a president who actually cares more about the American people than many of the presidents we've had in our generation. And I am not exaggerating that. We'll be right back. Don't go away.
Hi, welcome back. Rush Limbaugh, the cutting edge of societal evolution here on the one and only EIB Network. By the way, in that previous soundbite, I'm not going to replay it, the one with uh, Sanjay Gupta on CNN. John King says, so, uh, Dr. Gupta, is the coronavirus the common cold like Dr. Limbaugh says? And Dr. Gupta so, well, you know, I think what Rush referring to the idea, it's from a family of, he did not say I was wrong. Can I ask you a question? You remember the, the cruise ship if you're, that was that was uh, uh, quarantined in Japan? What was it? The virus of the seas, whatever the name of the ship was. How many people were on board that ship? 2,500, 3,000. What percentage of them were infected? Practically 80% of them were infected. How many have died? Zero. Fourteen Americans, I think, in that ship have been brought back under quarantine. How many of them have died? If, look, folks, I mean, it is what it is. The media wants it to be what it not yet is. Now, it could be. It could evolve, and who knows what it can Right now, the media is reporting on the coronavirus as they hope it evolves. They hope for hurricanes on the first day of hurricane season. They hope for Hurricane Katrina that can say climate change. Anything to advance the leftist agenda. Now, the leftist agenda includes getting rid of Trump. They would love for the coronavirus to be this deadly strain that wipes everybody out. So they could blame Trump for it. Don't doubt me on that. If you've been paying attention to mainstream media for the past four years, you can't doubt me on that. They haven't reported one thing true about these supposed Trump scandals. There was no collusion with Russia. There was not a shred of evidence. There was nothing he did wrong to be impeached. Zip, zero, nada. And yet, look at what they made of it. The news became what they wanted to be true. And because they wanted it to be true, they reported it as true. They're doing the same thing with the coronavirus. Just be patient. Just you know, be in control. If it evolves and becomes something very bad, I am confident the United States will be prepared for it because we have confident people in these agencies now. <sighs> okay, now, got to get started on the phones. People have been waiting a long time. We'll start. This is Gideon in Greenwich, Connecticut. I'm glad you called. Hello, sir. Hey, Rush. You hey. said uh, Christina Van Der Hoople predicts there'll be a media war on, on uh, Bernie, but I think she's half right. I think they will pursue that for a little while but once he's in once it's happened i think they will coalesce around him they will they will rally around that guy like we've never seen and because you, you said a few weeks ago they're not afraid of him because he might win they're afraid of him because he might lose exactly they agree with they agree with everything there's not is there a point is there a single part of bernie's philosophy that a typical leftist media member... Let me read a portion of this piece to you and get your reaction to it, okay? What what Gideon is reacting to, there's a column in the Washington Post today by a well-known communist. Her name is Katrina Van Hoovel. She is the daughter of some wealthy New York communist. She married a guy named Steve Cohen from Princeton who loves the Russians and loves the Soviets. She's all in on the Soviets. Well, once Russia becoming the Soviet Union again. She's, she loves them. And we we called her uh, Katrina, Hurricane Katrina, because she didn't like that. So their name is Katrina Van. Katrina's a Russian name, as you well know. It's a, it's a Eastern Bloc name. It's all in there. And and they headlined her piece. Get ready 
for the anti-Sanders media avalanche. Bernie Sanders' resounding victory in a Nevada caucus, the Vermont senator's sweep of the popular vote in the first three primaries, makes him the early front runner. A self-professed Democrat socialist leading the race? Get ready for red-baiting, slander, and just plain silliness. Politicians can't help themselves. The question is whether the media will pile on or provide common sense. The early returns aren't... She loves crazy Bernie. She is afraid that the media is going to turn negative on him and try to savage him. That's what she's worried about. You think that after enough time goes by, the media will sign on like they have AOC and they'll be all in for Bernie. That's your theory. They, right? will, they, they, will, they will not even allow Bernie to call himself. They won't use his title socialist anymore. That will be dropped. He will be completely sanitized. I've not, I, I can't remember reading a leftist media negative story about AOC ever. And uh, I think Bernie will get the same treatment. He will, he will be frustrated. He'll say, stop calling me a Democrat. I'm a socialist. But that's what they're going to call him. Hey, that's pretty good. Say that again. Say that. That was pretty good. Say that again. Stop calling me a socialist. I mean, I'm a socialist. Calling me a Democrat. Better the first time, but still good. (laughs) Um, By the way, there's no better, never been a better name for a political rally than Boutros, Boutros, Gali. Boutros, Boutros, by golly, why not? Uh, Look, you got Carvel. You think Carvel's going to end up becoming pro-Bernie? No, Carville will be a holdout. Could be the uh, Marine, for God's sake. Well, if Carville's a holdout, there's going to be a bunch of them that are holdouts. Your theory is it makes sense. Because at the end of the day, the enemy will remain Trump. And if Crazy Bernie's the only way to get rid of him, then they'll unify behind him. That's the odds anyway. Okay, here here is a, a confirmation uh, of the Wuhan China, coronavirus outbreak, the numbers. Exactly as I mentioned to you mere moments ago. Uh, 80,419 cases uh, in a city of 11 million, and this is around, plus the surrounding region. 2,711 deaths from COVID-19, which is coronavirus-19. Somebody call Louis Farrakhan, this is coronavirus 19. And you know, in Calypso Louis' world, 19 unlocks the secret to everything. 19 steps in the first three feet of the Washington Monument, or whatever he uh, came up with. All right, some of the other stories here about New York Democrats panicking. This New York magazine, Jonathan Chait. Now, this guy is highly reputed and respected on the left. He is considered one of their biggest brains, and he hates us. He thinks Republicans and conservatives are as close to subhuman as you can get. And that's, I guess, one of the reasons why he's revered. If Democrats aren't terrified of Bernie, comma, they're not paying attention. Let me give you a couple of pull quotes to illustrate why Jonathan Chait is in full-fledged panic mode over crazy Bernie winning. Pull quote number one. Watching the Brexit debacle from afar, it seemed impossible to understand how the Labor Party 
could know full well it needed to win a national election in order to prevent this. Yet what did they do? They harnessed themselves to a lunatic, Jeremy Corbyn, whose toxic leadership made victory impossible. And they did. And this, this guy, Jeremy Corbyn, is, is crazy Bernie on steroids. This, 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 this just genuine left-wing lunatic, mainstream Democrat. But he was so toxic that not even the British left could stomach the guy. So Chait continued the rise of Bernie Sanders at a moment when Donald Trump is accelerating his war on the rule of law. What? 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 what, what? Donald Trump is assaulting the or accelerating the war on the rule of law. Must be immigration he's talking about. See, the lefties don't like enforcing the law on illegal immigration. A liberal party drifting helplessly along as a small radical cabal steers it toward likely catastrophe. I didn't think it could happen here, he writes. But that's what he thinks is happening. A liberal party, the Democrats, drifting helplessly along as a small radical cabal led by crazy Bernie steers it toward catastrophe. Another pull quote. The Democrat primary can be seen as a series of candidates goading each other to jump into the lion's den. All the candidates have exposed themselves by taking at least a few unpopular positions, but none have gone quite as far as Bernie Sanders. What makes Bernie's profile uniquely toxic is the way his liabilities all reinforce each other. He combines discreet, deeply unpopular policy positions with an unpopular socialist label, which in turn reinforce the fact that his campaign is premised on radically changing the economy, the one thing most voters believe Trump has done well. Bernie's historic statements praising various leftist dictators reinforce the impression of kookery. Impression of kookery? He is a kook! Bernie Sanders is an abject kook. His historic statements praising various leftist dictators. See, the Democrat Party has always loved leftist dictators. They just haven't said so. It's only yesterday I told you how Ted Kennedy was working with Soviet leaders to undermine Ronald Reagan. It was the Democrat Party that was attempting to help the Soviet Union establish a beachhead in Nicaragua in the 1980s. Ditto Grenada at the same time. It was the Democrat Party that got very mad when Daniel Ortega of the Sandinistas embarrassed them by flying off to Moscow for some money after the Democrats voted in favor of Nicaragua Sandinistas in the 1980s. The idea that the Democrat Party is not friendly with various leftist dictators is absurd. What do you? It's not just Bernie Sanders fascinated with Castro. All of Hollywood's fascinated with Castro. All of Hollywood's fascinated with Che Guevara. All of Hollywood was fascinated with uh, uh, Hugo Chavez in Venezuela. It isn't unusual for Democrats and their celebrity figureheads to love dictators. It's common. I'm sorry, folks, if I'm yelling, but th- this is. It's just me trying to be forceful. This, this, this idea that crazy Bernie's an outlier and is embarrassing the Democrats by 
praising Castro. They've all praised Castro, particularly against American presidents like Nixon and Reagan. You've got Michael Moore running around doing documentary films on the superiority of the Cuban health care system, for crying out loud. It's mainstream Democrat Party belief to sidle up to and support left-wing dictators. I don't know what Chait's concerned about here. Bernie Sanders is no different. The only thing different is he's the first guy to actually look like he might get the Democrat nomination talking about this stuff. But I'll guarantee you that Barack Barack Obama... Look at at the efforts Obama made to normalize relationships with Cuba. Look at the efforts that Mondale was making during the campaign against Reagan in 1984. Look at the Democrat Party's forever alliance with Erich Erich Honecker in East Germany. My golly, folks. I mean, it, it... It would actually be more uncommon to find a Democrat speaking out against these people. Who do you think wears the Che Guevara t-shirts around? Who do you think is it that lionized Castro all these years and claimed that Castro was a victim of United States imperialism? Okay, so crazy Bernie's all in on the honeymoons in Moscow in the 80s and lionizes Fidel Castro today. Praises Castro for a literacy program. As I said, Castro's literacy program was the imposition of propaganda and indoctrination on Cuban kids. It was the selling of communism and the glory of the state. It wasn't a literacy program. They had to learn to read this stuff or else they go to gulags. Or their parents would. There is starvation rampant in communist countries, including China today including Venezuela, including Cuba. And wherever there are vestiges of it anywhere in the world, you're going to find misery, discontent, and people desperate to escape where they live. And where do they all want to go? Right here, United States of America, which to the Democrat Party is the destabilizing agent of the world because of our superpower status. To the Democrat Party, it's the United States that's causing all the misery in Cuba and all the misery in Venezuela and all the problems in China. It's our superpower status and the fact that we're so rich and so more powerful that we have stolen so much to become what we are, which is bogus. This this idea that Bernie Sanders is some oddball outlier, don't fall for it. He is mainstream Democrat Party. So this headline, if Democrats aren't terrified of Bernie, they're not paying attention. Let me give you one more pull quote from this piece just to illustrate what I was just saying. Quote, Bernie Sanders is a completely unique asset for the left. No, he isn't. He is as common as you are, Chate. Sanders is a completely unique asset for the left. Proud socialist who holds national office will be too old to run again by the next election if he isn't too old already. And who has no short-term successor. They have every incentive to imagine away his many flaws and seize on the real but unlikely possibility he can defy the odds and win. What is shocking is observing how many other progressives have joined in this fantasy with them. (laughs) 
It's not a fantasy. It is a dream come true to these people, Mr. Tate. You know what's amazing? That not even the people in the middle of this pro-socialist, communist sympathetic party realize what they are. They think Bernie's an outlier. They think Bernie's an outlaw kook and take them all down. I'll tell you, it's easier to find a Democrat sympathetic to Fidel Castro and Hugo Chavez than it is to find a Democrat who opposes them. We're back, Rush Limbaugh, cutting edge societal evolution. Most listened to radio talk show all across the fruited plain and in the country. And here we go to Livonia, Michigan. This is Michael. Great to have you. We love calls from Livonia, Michigan. Great, great people there. How are you? Rush, I want to tell you, first of all, that my family and I are praying every day for you to make a full, fast recovery. Thank you, sir. Easy recovery. Very much. So what, what prompted my call, we need you, Rush. What prompted my call was, and I don't want to nitpick too much here on the numbers. I appreciate what you're doing, but I, I, am, I think a lot of people are concerned, like I am, because we don't have all the information. Everything I've seen, and I've been trying to educate myself in a, in a responsible way, and if I'm using sources that you feel are discredited or not, not valuable, then, then, then tell me, and we should you know, know not to use these sources. But everything I've seen, the flu rate, the death rate from the typical flu typically is somewhere between uh, 1% to 2%. What we're seeing right now with coronavirus, COVID-19, in countries like um, Italy, I think it's around 3%. In Iran, I think it's somewhere closer to like 16%. South Korea, we don't know, but it's, it's much higher. And so here's, here's what I wanted to say to you yesterday, because I, I, I haven't really heard everything that Trump has said. But as of yesterday, he certainly, I, I certainly felt when you made the comment that president trump that this is somehow being used to try to destroy president trump i was thinking president trump will will hurt himself if he doesn't get out in front of this and make sure that the the public he needs to instill more confidence in the american public that he understands this that he has this under control and that we're doing the job we should be doing last comment well okay yeah let me comment on that on the trump thing first i think see trump is a different ball of wax. If Trump were out there telling you, I got it controlled, my team's working on it, we're doing everything we can, even though that hasn't been done yet, would you feel better about it? You probably would. I think I think Trump's people, I think the National Institutes of Health, I think all kinds of working their butts off on this. Um, and Trump knows not to assure people before it's time to. Assuring people that nothing's going to go wrong that's gonna, is, 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 until he knows that would be the biggest mistake in the world. This is what other people were working on. It we're got to handle. We uh, we got the czar. Uh, we're going to prevent the spread of this. Work. That that's a total wrong. Trump is not into PR on these kind of things. He's into the reality of it. So I think he's not talking much about it yet because he's he's got nothing really to say about it until he gets reported to by people at various CDC agencies, National Institutes of Health, uh, what really is going on here. Well, that's fair. But like I said, even if he could just simply say that we're watching it very closely, we're taking this seriously, even even that's something. I think he was saying yesterday something like the stock market looks great or never better. And meanwhile, it's dropping a thousand points. But but let me mention this, because I think this is even more important than the real reason I called. 
So I'm looking at a source called Pandemic.News. It's an offshoot of NaturalNews.com. The gentleman's name is Mike Adams. I don't know if this is credible, but he claims to be using U.S. government and CDC and other uh, U.S. government websites and, and statistics to, to prove all his, his points. And he's got a background in, uh, in pandemics or in, in science and health. So he's saying, uh, as of yesterday, that there's hardly any testing going on in the U.S. So therefore, we don't really know how many um, people in the U.S. have this or how serious it is. And the CDC kits are, are not reliable. I, I'm not really sure if this is to be believed. Then, then we don't yet have a handle on this. Well, I can't, point. I can't, I can't help you because I never heard of the guy. I mean, I know a lot of Mike Adams. I don't know this guy. I don't know this website. Um, I can't help you. These are the kind of things that um, they're a challenge. Everybody wants to know more than what is being reported on something. And you glom on the, if, if you're worried and scared and if you think this is going to be bad and you run across a site that confirms your fears, then you tend to believe them. It's the nature of the Internet today. And I do have a soundbite. This might make you feel better. This is Dr. Anthony Fauci. We lifted the ban. He was on MSNBC's ripping me. He's ripping me for being wrong about this. And here's what he said about it. This was uh, just this afternoon. Well, first of all, the common cold rarely, if ever, kills anybody. Rarely, truly rarely. And even seasonal influenza has a mortality of 0.1%. higher than that. The current mortality of this outbreak, at least in China, was about 2 to 2.5%. Two That's serious. So I think it would not be appropriate to say that this is just another common cold, because it clearly is not just another common cold. All right, so the long knives are out for your host on CNN and on MSNBC. And the question that Dr. Fauci was asked, I want to share with you from, from the uh, fill-in host, Chris Jansen. Are you ready for this question? Uh, 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 Dr. Fauci, uh, one of the things the president said today was that I think the whole situation will start working out. And Rush Limbaugh, who is a big supporter of the president, said to his many listeners on his show Monday that we're basically overstating this. That this is basically, it's a, it's a common cold. So I'm being lumped in with Trump, and therefore I can't be trusted. Trump can't be trusted. we got to go to Dr. Anthony Fauci. He says, well, it's a little bit worse than the common cold because of the death rate and so forth. Uh, now, I'm out of time here. I'm right on the verge of a killer point, and I have. To take a break. You know, one thing that people do in all of these epidemic, pandemic things, people keep mixing up the mortality rate for the United States with the mortality rate for the rest of the world. And folks, the mortality rate in the rest of the world is always going to be higher than it is in the United States. And I'm sorry if that offends anybody, but it's just the way it is. We're an advanced society. Hiya, folks, and welcome back. It's just great to have you with us. El Rushbow here behind the Golden EIB microphone. Amidst the fastest three hours in media. The telephone number, if you want to be on the program, is 800-282-2882. So... Just sitting here watching Fox, and, and you know, it's Panic City, CDC, 
Centers for Disease Control. U.S. outbreak, a question of when, not if. It could be bad. Americans should brace. CDC urges Americans to prepare for coronavirus outbreak. This might be bad. It's a virus. What are you going to do? Here's the substance of the story. Americans should brace themselves for an outbreak of the deadly coronavirus to upend their daily lives. That's a hell of a war. Snurdly, everybody in there, you need to be prepared for your lives to be upended. Well, you better be. You better be. Your life is about to be upended. Do you know what that means? No. Your life being upended, it means what's up is down and what's down is up, including you. Your life is going to be upended. That's just the first paragraph. Let's move on to the next one. It's not so much of a question of if this will happen in this country anymore, but a question of when this will happen, said the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's Dr. Nancy Messonnier. To reporters. Somebody quick find out who she donates to politically. M-E-S-S-O-N-N-I-E-R. Dr. Nancy. CDC. Want to find out who she donates to. Next sentence. We are asking the American public to prepare for the expectation that this might be bad. Okay, how would you prepare for something that might be bad? Remember now, there's not a coronavirus shot like there is a flu shot. There isn't one of those. So what are you going to do? Next sentence. Uh, Messonnier, the director of the CDC's National Center for Immunization and Respiratory Diseases, outlined what an epidemic here could mean for screwels in businesses. By the way, the number of cases in the United States right now is 57. I just saw it on a map. 57 known cases in the United States. She said that the schools should consider plans to divide students into smaller groups or use Internet-based teleschooling. So keep the kids at home, maybe. Don't let them go to school. Don't let them in the incubator. Now, that could upend your life. <laughs> Next sentence. For adults, businesses can replace in-person meetings with video or telephone conference calls and increase teleworking options. So the CDC is telling everybody right now, keep your kids at home and keep yourself at home and don't go anywhere and communicate with people via FaceTime. There are 57 cases, known cases, reported cases in the United States. The CDC on Monday announced, I'm sorry, it's 53. I was wrong by, by the CDC on Monday announced there are now 53 confirmed cases of coronavirus in the U.S., including people evacuated from the Diamond Virus cruise ship in Japan and from the city of Wuhan. So the 53 cases 
are people who contracted the disease while not here. How many of the 53 have died? It doesn't say. So we'll have to just um, wait. See, anyway, so the CD, and now there's a market sell-off. The Dow was down about 600 points. Now it's down 824, 825 points. And the drive-by media is showing video clips of Donald Trump in India downplaying the coronavirus. Say, we got it handled. We've authorized $2.5 billion to get started on research and planning on this stuff. Alex Azar, who heads the uh, Department of uh, Health and Human Services, appeared before Congress, said that's what we're doing. We're getting full speed. And this what Chuck Schumer said, not enough money. Criticized Trump for not caring enough, but not putting enough money at it. Uh, so that's that. So um, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be appropriately concerned because now you got CDC telling everybody, stay home, don't let your kids go to school, start communicating with people on FaceTime or some other teleconference manner that you have. That just isn't practical. That just that isn't uh, going to happen. Uh, back now to the stories that I accumulated here on the panic related to Bernie Sanders. The next one in my stack is by Neil Stanage today at The Hill. And the the headline, Democrat rivals have seven days to stop Sanders. Rival candidates have just a week to stop Sanders if they hope to prevent Bernie from taking the party's presidential nomination. Now, why seven days? What, what is it? Well, because of Super Tuesday coming up a week from today. If they don't stop Bernie, but he doesn't. I mean, how do you? How you stop him? His current trajectory set to carry him to at least a top two finish in South Carolina on Saturday. From there, he looks likely to roll through Super Tuesday on March 3rd, harvesting huge numbers of delegates from California and other large states. It's eminently plausible that by the end of March 3rd, that night, Crazy Bernie will have jumped out to a delegate lead that none of his rivals can reel in, especially given the likelihood that more than a half dozen other major candidates remain in the race. 415 delegates in California. It's not winner take all there, but if he wins most of the popular vote, he'll get most of the delegates. Seven days to stop Crazy Bernie. So here is the P.A.'s. De resistance, a little French lingo there. Thomas Lupe Friedman from the New York Times, who believes that the United States needs to have a government more like the Chicoms. 11 or 12 really smart people making all the decisions about everything, and Friedman thinks that he should be one of the 11 or 12. Because he was in an Obama workshop on employment, even though his expertise supposedly foreign policy. So his idea is, Democrats, you want to defeat Trump, you need to form a team of rivals. You know, this is a takeoff on Abraham Lincoln cabinet. Lincoln's cabinet was composed of a bunch of people who didn't like each other, and some of them didn't like Lincoln. 
And the theory was that if you have a team of rivals in there, that you'll you'll eventually find the truth and the, and the solution to any problem because you'll you'll find a way to weed out all the all the bias. So Friedman, I, well, I, I didn't know when I first saw the headline, I didn't know quite what this meant. Uh, form a team of rivals to defeat Trump. Uh, if this election turns out to be just between, get, get this, by the way, this is the opening sentence. If this election turns out to be just between a self-proclaimed socialist and an undiagnosed sociopath, we will be in a terrible, terrible place as a country. How do we prevent that? So Trump is an undiagnosed sociopath and Crazy Bernie is a self-proclaimed socialist. It's actually a self-proclaimed communist. So Thomas Lupe Friedman says, that's all I'm thinking about right now. My short answer is the Democrats have to do something extraordinary. They have to forge a national unity ticket, the likes of which they have never forged before. And that's true even if Democrats nominate somebody other than Sanders. What would this super ticket look like? Well, I suggest Sanders and Michael Bloomberg, who seems to be his most viable long-term challenger, lay it out this way. I want people to know that if I'm a Democrat nominee, these will be my cabinet choices. My team of rivals, he said, he's stealing here from Lincoln. I want Amy Klobuchar as my vice president. Her decency, experience, and moderation will be greatly appreciated across America, particularly in the Midwest. I want Bloomberg or Bernie as my secretary of the Treasury. Bernie Sanders is secretary of the Treasury? Bernie Sanders is... (laughs) There won't be a Treasury. It will be empty. There won't be any money anywhere. Folks, this is how, this is incredible. I want either Bloomberg or Bernie as my Secretary of Treasury. Our plans for addressing income inequality are actually not that far apart. Bloomberg and Bernie's aren't. This guy's insane. And if we can blend them together, it'll be great for the country and it'll reassure the markets. I want Joe Biden as my Secretary of State. Thomas, he doesn't know where he is. He he thinks he's running for the Senate now. He thinks he talked with Deng Xiaoping yesterday. You want this guy as your secretary of state? I guess that's to continue to cover up whatever's going on in Ukraine with Hunter Biden. No one in our party knows the world better or has more credibility with our allies than Joe Biden. Man, these people have lost it. Nobody knows, nobody in our party knows the world better, has more credibility with allies than Joe Biden. I will ask Elizabeth Warren to serve as Health and Human Services Secretary. No one could bring more energy and intellect to the task of expanding health care for more American Indian, uh, Americans than Senator Warren. I want Kamala Harris for Attorney General. I want Cory Booker to become Secretary of Housing. I want Mayor Pete as Homeland Secretary. This guy is literally suggesting every Democrat you've ever heard of pledge right now to be part of whatever administration the nominee is. That's the only way to beat Trump. 
Oh, and by the way, folks, uh, I was not asking rhetorically. Let me go back to the CDC story. Let me find it here. Here we go. Remember I asked somebody to look up who does Dr. Nancy Messonnier donate to? Well, let me tell you. Dr. Nancy Messonnier's sister, or I guess brother, is Rod Rosenstein. Dr. Nancy Messonnier of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, who's urging everybody to not go to school and stay home and teleconference all your communications. Nancy Messonnier's, it says sister is Rod Rosenstein, but that can't be because Rosenstein's not a woman. So I'm assuming it, it, it means brother here. So there's a reason I asked this question. So you've got here the CDC urging Americans to prepare for coronavirus outbreak. This might be bad, could be bad. Keep your kids at home. Don't go anywhere. It might be bad. We got 53 cases. It might be bad. It could be. Stock market's plunging. Okay. This person running this agency, who does she donate to? Well, her brother is Rod Rosenstein. I'm guessing let me. I need to double check this because what I'm seeing here is Messonnier's sister is Rosenstein. Unless Rosenstein's had a sex change operation, like that can't be right. Okay, I, I clarified this. Doctor Nancy Messonnier of the Centers for Disease Control, which today warned it could be bad. It might be bad. Don't go to school and don't go to work. Stay home and teleconference. Is the sister of the uh, former Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein? No, take that, do what you want with it, may mean nothing, might, who knows. It's just in that town, I'm telling you, everything is incestuous. Most of that town is establishment-oriented or rooted, which means they despise Trump. Here's Jim in Milford, Connecticut, your next, sir. Great to have you on the EIB Network. Hi. Hi, good afternoon, Russ, and mega dittos from beautiful Milford, Connecticut. Thank you, sir. Oh, it's my pleasure. And if I may take the uh, courtesy of calling you my friend, I have a question and then a couple of points I'd like to make. And the question is, do you think the uh, liberals, and the, the DNHC, I like to refer to them as the Democratic National Haters Committee, have lost all touch with common sense? Or is it that they have such a deep-seated hatred for our absolutely wonderful president, Donald Trump, that causes them to make the decisions they're making and and saying the things that they're saying, which just go so strongly against common sense. I, sometimes it baffles me. Uh, you know, I can't understand it. It's not complicated at all. Um, it is psychological. The answer to your question would be found in psychology. I think that that they are at their wit's end of frustration at not being able to get rid of him. Remember, the Democrats and their media buddies are able to get rid of anybody they want. They can take out, they want to take out somebody, they can get it done inside of a year. They can destroy somebody whenever they want. They've launched everything they've got at Trump and they can't even make a dent. And I think they're beyond frustrated at their impotence and their inability here. They're frustrated. They haven't been able to have any sway whatsoever with the American people on this. Uh, This has been a dire 
cold shower wake-up call that these people don't have the juice they've always thought they've had, and they don't know how to deal with that. You know, I, 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 I agree with what you're saying, and I think part of their effectiveness prior to Donald Trump was that the Republican candidate would always fold, would kowtow, would hide in the shadows at the first, you know, attack on him. Uh, you know, they would give in, they would give up, they would throw, throw in the towel. Um, you know, I just, I, I have been a huge supporter of Trump, and I know it doesn't mean much now, but I thought he was going to beat Hillary, uh, Hillary Clinton and uh, stood up for him back then. And all it takes is a little flashback to 1980 when uh, Rinaldus Magnus ran against Jimmy Carter. There's a lot of similarities there. And then you go to 84 when he trumped uh, uh, Mondale. Uh, you know, I, I truly think that this president is going to win like like Ronald Reagan did. Uh, well, I think they think so, too. I think I think that I, I think they think that Trump is going to Well, we know that that lunatic Al Green a Democrat from wherever he's from, we got to impeach Trump, otherwise he's going to be reelected. They all know incumbent presidents have this power. It's called incumbency. It's got to be, I've often thought about this. Here you are, any president, but let's, let's do this with Trump since he is the current president. Trump has been through the rigors of a campaign. He went through a campaign where nobody except a few of us, thought he was going to win, much less had a chance, vanquished everybody, didn't spend a whole lot of money. He finagled the media into giving him free... Look at all those rallies they televised. Because they hated him so much, they kept waiting for him to implode. That's another thing that has them ticked off. Trump plays them like they are violins that he owns. And... Now Trump is watching this madcap group of frustrated Democrats try to do what he did. And he's sitting in the White House or traveling around on Air Force One or over in India, speaking to a crowd of 125,000. He's been there and he's done it. He is where all of them dream of being. He's there. They aren't. This is true of any incumbent president and the opposing party trying to unseat him. But it's got to be it's got to be a really fun position to be in, to be watching other people go through what you have conquered and knowing that the fact you have conquered means you can do it again up against a bunch of people who've never done it and don't have a prayer of doing it. That's the power of incumbency expressed in just one way. We'll be back. Stay with us. Welcome back. Greetings to you. El Rushbo with talent on loan from God. Meeting and surpassing all audience expectations every day. Okay, back to the audio soundbite. And up next is Dr. Ezekiel Emanuel. He's from the famous Emanuel family of Democrat power brokers, including Rahm Emanuel, the former mayor of Chicago, and Ari Emanuel is one of the most powerful agents in Hollywood. I've met Ari. He's a nice guy. And he knew who I was. He was a nice guy. Now, Zeke Emanuel 
was very, 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 very closely tied to the creation of Obamacare during the Obama administration. As so many Democrat women pronounce the word administration, struggle. He was on CNN Newsroom this afternoon with the InfoBay Brooke Baldwin. And she said to Zeke Emanuel, what do you make of how Trump characterized the virus? By the way, Trump characterized the virus as we got it under control. We're dealing with it. Two and a billion dollars been appropriated. We're going to study it. We're going to keep things under control. That's what Trump said. Media is livid. Saying Trump doesn't care. Trump's not out front enough. Trump's not doing enough. Trump said, don't worry, we got it under control. So here is her question. What do you make of how Trump characterized the virus? Here's Zeke Emanuel. It's going to get worse before it's going to get better. And we need to be well aware of that. We're going to have more cases uh, before it's going to taper off and decline. And the idea that we're not going to have more than a 50 or a few more cases, that's just not likely. It is a low-risk situation now, given what we know The death rate is 2.5%, mainly among old people and people with other complicating diseases like diabetes or heart failure or emphysema, Um, and that seems to be where the real problems are. But we're going to have a lot more cases in the United States. Well, it sounds like he's making my point. Does it not? It sounds like old Zeke Emanuel here is kind of making my point. Two and a half percent, mainly old people, people with uh, complicating, it's a respiratory thing. Same thing they say about the flu. The flu is going to grab you if you're elderly. Look, folks, I hate doing this because I'm going to do it anyway. You know, I've been to a lot of hospitals lately. I've been talking to a lot of doctors lately. I'm a naturally curious guy. I was even in the hospital for three or four days with the flu about three weeks ago. And it was the flu. They did the, they did the test where they, they, they send the probe up your nose. They tried to find it. It came back negative. And then they, they ran a blood test and they found it. And I was making, I got fluids and I got all kinds of stuff thrown in me. And I was basically over it in a day. I was able to go home in two days. And, and I asked them, and I've asked other doctors I've been dealing with about this coronavirus. And there's not a one of them yet that's been taking it seriously. There's not a one of them. Now, admittedly... Have I had the corona test? No. I haven't had the corona test. No. But my only point is, in recent weeks, I've been asking every doctor I've come in contact with because every day the media says we're going to die. Oh, my God, it's a pandemic. Not an epidemic. A pandemic. It's going to soak and clothe the entire world. I've been asking, are you guys worried about it? Nah. Now, this is basically a Chinese disease because of the way they eat. Nothing, nothing is, is, is pasteurized, purified. I mean, they eat raw everything. They don't have any food in China, Rush, these doctors say. They eat raw bats. They eat raw snakes, unrefrigerated. That's where this disease comes from. But now, here's another thing, folks. As, as cold-hearted as this may sound, the Chinese are a nation of a billion people they can't feed. Losing 3,000 people ain't any big deal to a communist government, okay? They kill that many in the concentration camps over the course of months. It's, don't doubt me. I know you've been romanticized in education about communism and how much it cares. And all. The Chinese communists don't care if they lose 3,000 citizens. They don't care to even know their names. It doesn't matter. 
the number of people that are in political prison and re-education camps that are being starved into getting their minds right in China would blow your mind. Try being a Muslim in China. Try being uh, from Tibet, get caught in China. I mean, you, you're you getting the crap kicked out of you if, if, if you just look the wrong way in that country. So they look at a stat of uh, 80,000 cases, 3,000 dead. That's a success story in China. Do not doubt me. They are not. A Chinese, a communist government has nothing in common with the government of the United States in any which way, matter, or form, including compassion and care for the citizens. In this country, it's the people who make the country. This is one of the problems that Democrats are having is they've kind of lost touch with the fact that it's the people who make the country work, not Washington. But Trump is totally in touch with that. He respects the people who make the country work. He cares about the people who make the country work. That's why he's doing what he's doing. That's what his agenda is. That's what getting these trade deals right is. That's what bringing jobs back is all about. That's what tax cuts and creating wage increase. It's what it's all about for Trump. Is making America great again, and you can't do that without improving Life for the majority of people who live in the country. Great country requires great people accomplishing great things. And too many people in Washington think the world centers around them and that their policies are responsible for this or that and the other thing. And they look down on people in flyover country who actually make the country work. Well, Trump doesn't. Do not think for a moment that he's not concerned about this coronavirus and do not think for a moment that he's not got people looking into this. And I'll guarantee you he didn't authorize the CDC to start creating a panic like they did today. I mean, I can't guarantee that, but the last thing in the world that I would believe that he did was authorize something like that. It doesn't jibe with his press conference today in India about this. We lose 3,000 people out of it. It's a big deal. That is going to be a major problem. If we have stats like that in this country, there's going to be hell to pay. Because it's not necessary in this country. It's not necessary for people to die from this disease, folks. Not in an advanced country like the United States. Barring pre-existing conditions. Diabetes like... like, like um, Zeke Emanuel, if you've got emphysema, if you've got a respiratory problem already, well, this is not a good thing to get. But if you're young, vibrant, and healthy, you can survive it. But they're not telling you that. They're making it look like, we're all going to die. Oh, my God, don't go to school. Don't go to work. Teleconference, telework. Do what he... We're not there yet. 53 cases. Now, Zeke says it's going to be more than that, and it will be. But let's let's just... Let's just see. Let me take a brief. Uh, I've, I've got a couple sound bites. You know what? I'm going to play them now. I got to get these in, or other because if I don't take advantage of the remaining time in this segment, I'm not going to get them in. And it's crazy, Bernie, doubling down on Castro's literacy program. Remember, you got all these people like Jonathan Chait and Thomas Friedman running around saying it's not. Doesn't look good to be praising Castro to be. Pra- the whole Democrat Party does. They wear Che Guevara T-shirts. Every Hollywood actor and actress loves Hugo Chavez, Fidel Castro. The Democrat Party sidles up to these people. 
Bernie is not an outlier. He's not weird in this. He's very common. And now he's out saying that Castro had one of the greatest literacy programs ever. He's been criticized for it. So now he's doubling down. And this, let's see, in fact, he got a quake. Oh, he was on with Fredo. That's even better. Two experts in communism. (laughs) Fredo Cuomo says to Crazy Bernie, you said on 60 Minutes it's unfair to simply say that everything is bad with the way Castro ruled in Cuba. Now, Democrat members of Congress who represent Cuban Americans in Florida are attacking your comment as absolutely unacceptable, singing the praises of a murderous tyrant. And by the way, Crazy Bernie, keep talking because you've just lost Florida for the Democrats. You've just lost. The more you talk about what a great guy Castro is, you have no chance, Democrats, of winning Florida. Here's what Crazy Bernie said. When Fidel Castro first came to power, you know what he did? He initiated a major literacy program with a lot of folks in Cuba at that point who are literate. And he formed the Literacy Brigade. He went out and they helped people learn to read and write. You know what? I think teaching people to read and write is a good thing. I happen to believe in democracy, not authoritarianism. China is another example. All right. China is an authoritarian country becoming more and more authoritarian. But can anyone deny that they have taken more people out of extreme poverty than any country in history? Do I get criticized because I say that's the truth? That simply is not true. China has taken more people out of poverty than any country in history. Well, you're nodding your head in agreement with that? Well, yeah, okay, if you, well, if you, if you do want to count the number of people they murdered in poverty who are no longer in poverty, then maybe you can make the numbers work. But this is flat out impossible. Communism doesn't raise people out of poverty. It is American manufacturing that has raised Chicom citizens out of poverty. It's the Chicom's attempt to meld capitalism with what they're doing, which is going to be a very tough thing for them to sustain. And and Castro's literacy program was a propaganda program. We've been through that. So let's let's flash back, shall we? Fredo Cuomo, March twenty first, two thousand sixteen. This is you know Obama went to Cuba. The left was having orgasms over it. Oh my God, he went down there and he met Cuban's leaders. Oh, this is great. This is great. They just loved it. Fredo loved it. Fredo showed up on CNN wearing some shirt that his dad brought back from Cuba. He's talking to Allison Camerata. She said, Chris, we can't help but notice your shirt that you're wearing. Tell us the history of your shirt. My guayabera? This shirt belonged to my father. It was given to him by Fidel Castro. It marked conversations going on decades ago that were the same as those today. The concern was the freedom of the people. What is the point of this communist regime if it is not to truly make everyone equal, not at the lowest level, not by demoralizing everyone, but lifting everyone up? My father, generations of politicians have been fighting this. So I wear this shirt as a reminder of that. What is the point of this communist regime in Cuba if it is not to truly make everyone equal by lifting everybody? What in the world? This guy is a primetime anchor on CNN and is 
totally confused about what communism is and what its purpose is. And, but, you know, this is most of the left and this is way too many average citizens in America have been educated this. Yeah, communism about fairness and nobody can make fun of anybody. There's nobody mocked. Nobody's made fun of. Nobody, nobody gets laughed at. Nobody's feelings are hurt and everybody's equal. And, and everybody has the same and everybody's got economic opportunity and justice. It's such a crock. And here's Fredo Cuomo and his dad. What's the point of this communist... Fidel Castro ran that island for 50 years, and the people got worse and worse and worse, and it got so bad the Cuban government had to give away rice cookers to some of the population, but there wasn't any rice to put in them. Welcome back. Rush Limbaugh executing assigned host duties flawlessly and tirelessly. Uh, Steve in Winstead, Connecticut, I only have half a minute, but I want to get you on. I know you can get this in. Hi. Critical thinking dittos, Rush. Thank you. I want to discuss the existential threat, Bernie Sanders. He has an affection for the former dictator, Fidel Castro, who allowed Russia to park their nuclear missiles on their island. And then, you know, they wanted to blow up the United States. I don't know how anybody could support that guy. You know, that is an interesting observation. Fidel Castro did indeed have nuclear missiles pointed at the United States as a Soviet client state. And here's Bernie Sanders and Michael Moore and the whole Democrat Party running around praising the guy. It's a joke. I mean, these people ought to be irrelevant by now to a vast majority of us back in a second. Senator Grassley just tweeted the follow today. Had classified briefing federal departments and agencies about the coronavirus. After hearing from top levels of government, I'm confident President Trump doing everything needed to keep America safe. That's Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley in a tweet uh, earlier this morning. We'll be back here tomorrow, folks, after Democrat debate tonight. See you then. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.